This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Fungicide Resistance Extension Network. Are you planning your cropping program and seed orders for the 2021 growing season? Well, before you do, I'd like to welcome you to our podcast on fungicide resistance in the south and planning for 2021. The podcast has been produced by the Australian Fungicide Resistance Extension Network, otherwise known as AFRIN, a GRDC-supported project to help growers and advisors stay informed about fungicide resistance issues. To discuss the latest in research findings, I'm joined in the AFRIN studio by Dr Hugh Walwork, Principal Research Officer at the South Australian Research and Development Institute. Hugh, thanks for your time. My pleasure. Dr. Warwick, we're talking about fungicide resistance now because growers are starting to think about ordering seed for 2021, which raises considerations of variety selection and also fungicide seed treatment. Fungicide seed treatments have always been a simple go-to for protecting crops through the wet months, but the message from Afrin is there's a bigger picture to consider from what I understand. Yes, that's right. Particularly for barley, the focus has been very much on controlling powdery mildew in the past and more recently also for the net blotches. Unfortunately, some of the pathogens can develop resistance to fungicides and we started seeing this happen in South Australia. So this makes decisions on seed treatments rather more complicated than it has been in the past. Let's maybe take one step back then. What is fungicide resistance then? Well, fungicide resistance occurs when a mutation happens in the fungal DNA such that the pathogen causing the disease can avoid the damaging effects of the chemical treatment. In some cases, the effect is partial, such that the pathogen has reduced sensitivity to the fungicide. But in some cases, the resistance can be complete, in which case the pathogen is entirely unaffected by the fungicide. You can get different types of mutations. The ones that tend to be more complete are the ones that affect the target site of the fungicide, while others change the level of expression of DNA, so the resistance effects are only partial. Dr Warwick, what causes that sort of resistance to develop? Well, mutations are really just random events that occur naturally. So the more of a fungus there is, the more chances that an event will occur in a given time and place. So mutations are more likely to occur where the pathogen is present at higher levels in a crop. This may be because a very susceptible variety has been grown or because the disease is allowed to multiply in the crop too long before control is applied and because the season is favourable for that disease. Mutations occur at a fairly constant rate as a proportion of the total pathogen population. Probably in most cases the resistant strain might just die out naturally because they occur all the time, because only part, obviously, of the whole pathogen population survives between seasons. What will make the resistance uh, more evident and to build up and become a problem is where that resistant strain is selected or favoured over other parts of the pathogen population. This will occur where a fungicide is used that specifically selects the less sensitive or resistant strains. It will occur naturally much faster where that selection pressure is repeated within a season or across seasons because growers are using the same treatment over and over again, just favouring that resistant part of the population. You're saying then it's got a fairly broad effect. What are some of the high-risk groups then? The high-risk groups are things like the powdery mildews where you've got millions and millions of spores produced very rapidly. They're obviously prone to mutation, so they tend to be the things you find first. But obviously net blotches are prone to develop resistance as well, and we're also seeing that in septoria. An example of a disease where you rarely, if ever, see resistance developing is the rusts, and that's been really good news for us because I guess they're the one disease we've been spraying for a very long time. 
There's only one example of a rust, I think, that's ever been found to have resistance to a fungicide, and that's a soybean rust in America. Despite all the spraying for leaf and stripe rust over the years um, around the world, as far as I know, no resistance has ever developed. So you're talking about a little bit of a pattern in terms of the way that it is managed and dealt with. Does that also feed into uh, treatments of seed feeding into those patterns as well? Seed treatments and including that's fertiliser applied fungicides are just another means to apply a fungicide to a crop. However, they have the advantage of being much cheaper to apply. They affect the whole of the developing plant from the moment they start growing and they last longer than fungicide sprays. Because of these advantages, there's a very strong temptation to use them every year. Unfortunately, we do not have the same diversity of active ingredients to use at seeding. So if we use seed treatments every year, we're effectively using the same selection pressure every year, which is precisely what we don't want to do. Are there examples of where this has happened in crops where it's caused an issue? Yes. In South Australia here, we've seen fungal disease, net form, net blotch, develop resistance to Cystiva, which uses the active um, ingredient fluxopyroxide, an SDH, what we call an SDHI fungicide. This resistance was first detected by us on the southern York Peninsula in 2019, but it must have occurred in 2018 or even earlier because of the levels that's present at that time. Subsequently, we've um, discovered that it's actually uh, occurred, or three separate mutation events occurred in South Australia in the last two or three years. Certainly, we've got a different mutation on the um, west coast around Lock and in the southeast, down at Kaibi Bolite, and also on the southern York Peninsula. They're all independent events. And with the disease blowing in the wind, that resistance is now actually common right across large areas of the state. Beyond fungicide seed treatments, what can farmers do to minimise their risk of fungal infections? Well, firstly, like I said earlier, it's most important just to keep the level of infection in crops as low as possible. The less of a fungus there is, the easier it is to manage it. So the best way to do this is to definitely avoid sowing barley into barley stubbles and also to avoid growing as much as possible the most susceptible varieties. Best to have a bit of a mix of varieties as well that keeps the um, fungus guessing. Also, because of this problem of the stubbles hosting the fungus, you should take care where barley is being sown just even close to infected stubbles and neighbouring paddocks. Perhaps those areas you could sow last or use the most resistant variety you can in those areas adjacent to infected stubbles. And then keep a close eye on the early sown crops and apply a fungicide early to keep infection low and stop it spread to other areas. I guess stubbles that are heavily infected should be grazed heavily or otherwise removed or possibly we don't like burning, but sometimes it can be an advantage if it's going to be adjacent to a new crop. Where fungicides are used, then they should be mixed and or rotated to make life difficult for the fungus. You know, keep changing the selection mechanism. You're keeping them guessing and keeping them on edge, I suppose. Some fungicides are particularly prone to rapid resistance breakdown. That's particularly like the strobilurins and the SDHIs. So these really should only be used once a year at most for most of those pathogens. Do those practices support or replace fungicide seed dressing and in-furrow seed treatments? Well, they, they certainly support them. Seed dressings and infrared treatments do have an important role to play. So that reason that we need to be careful how we use them so that we can prolong their useful life. With things like net form, net blotch, because the resistance has already broken down, we need to be much more restrained in how we use them. And ideally, they should be used only every second year and never for a crop sown into infected stubbles or just used as a substitute for you know, other control and using highly susceptible varieties. We've talked about a lot of 
pre-planting options there. What about when the seed's in the ground? What can growers do to minimise the risk of promoting fungicide resistance? Well, most importantly, just keep an eye on the crops so that spraying can be applied early before the level of inoculum builds up. So if you keep your levels early, then the fungicides are going to be more effective and more long-lasting. So this will reduce the need for later sprays, ensure good coverage of infection lower in the canopy, and reduce the chances of further mutations occurring. If a spray is required, then you'll have more time, obviously, to plan a spray, plan to go in early and and, um, assess the crop early, and to access a suitable product if you detect a problem early. Just remember that changing the selection pressure on the pathogen is really important. So use a different product or mixture each time that you do apply a fungicide. Rotating or mixing fungicides, it needs to include a consideration of any fungicide used as a seed dressing or in furrow seed treatment, doesn't it? It certainly does. I mean, if you use an SDHI fungicide for the seed treatment, then you shouldn't use a SDH fungicide as a foliar spray. Just in conclusion, what's the long-term outlook for fungicides and fungicide resistance? Well, it's if everyone follows the sort of advice we're giving, then the outlook remains reasonably good, particularly if readers can deliver varieties with better resistance and if the farmers choose to use them. If, however, a more short-term perspective is taken by growers, then it's likely we'll struggle a lot more to preserve the efficacy of our fungicides. And unfortunately, our host resistance will continue to erode under high pathogen pressures. Lastly, what can people do to learn more about fungicide resistance and also fungicide resistance management? Well, there's this new grouping that you mentioned at the introduction called AFRIN. It's been formed. It comprises leading pathologists from around Australia, and I'm myself and Tara Garrard are people in South Australia. Um, AFRIN is based at Curtin University in Western Australia and funded there by the GRDC. They do all the assessments of the molecular sides of fungicide resistance. And they've got a website, www.afren.com.au, and this can be accessed to obtain the most up-to-date information on fungicide resistance in crops all around Australia. Dr Hugh Warwick, Principal Research Officer at the South Australian Research and Development Institute, thank you for joining me in the AFRIN podcast studio. My pleasure, thank you. Thank you.